Welcome to Saltier Politics in week one million of coronavirus isolation. <laughs> Julie, although this week, yeah. this past week was a unique one because it was your birthday. It was my birthday. I had a great birthday despite being isolation. Um, it's been raining here in New York for what seems like a thousand years. But on Saturday, which was um, my birthday, was actually um, not raining. It was literally the only day that it wasn't raining. And I, I think it's been two weeks. So we took a um, bottle of champagne out to Central Park where nobody was social distancing, I might want to add. Um, and uh, because it was such a nice day out, people were outside playing Frisbee and you had all these families picnicking and um, it was lovely. And we just hung out and, and killed a bottle of champagne and FaceTimed with a few people. So it was really nice. It was just such a great birthday. It was probably, I have to say, despite the isolation, um, one of the nicest birthdays I've ever had. So it was great. It was a great way to kick off my 47th year. Yikes. Um, which means that I'm less than three years away from 50, which seems like I'm not freaked out about it because whatever, it's better than the alternative, which is not getting older. Um, I don't really feel like I'm 47. I kind of still feel like I'm 30, but, uh, the calendar says otherwise, which is kind of weird. It's very weird for my mom. She can't believe how old I am. She's, she's having a harder time with it. I'm not having a hard time with it, but she is. I think the best is really just you're on the cusp of it because you started a movement last year. Life is good. I mean, listen, let me say this. Life is tough for me. It is 99.999% better than it is for, for other people in this country who are struggling with just unimaginable health issues or uh, financial issues or other crises. So I, you know, I cannot complain. I, I'm going to complain anyway, because that's what we do on the show, but I'm not going, but I should not be complaining. Let's put it this way. I'm very grateful generally for, for where my life is today. So thank you. Thank you for the happy birthday wishes. Heck yeah. Well, I guess to kind of move a little bit, we'll get right back into coronavirus, but I wanted to talk to you about the FBI Flynn, the new revelation you know what my problem with general flynn is um in this whole situation the guy was a master spy he was in charge of our national security and now we are forced to believe that somebody like that was entrapped by a bunch of federal agents into lying to them i mean let's not forget why donald trump said he fired general flynn he fired general flynn because he quote unquote lied to mike pence um Somebody entrapped Michael Flynn into lying to Mike Pence. Somebody entrapped Michael Flynn into lying to the FBI. Um, of course not. So I'm not really sure what this is all about, other than the fact that General Flynn clearly has not flipped on the president, and the president's going to pardon him the same way the president's going to pardon Paul Manafort eventually, and Roger Stone, and all his other friends who never flipped on him. He's not going to pardon Michael Cohen, because Michael Cohen did flip on him. So it's all about not the rule of law. It's all about who's loyal to the president personally. And mark my words, if the president loses this election, he will pardon all those people on his way out the door. And if he wins this election, he'll pardon them anyway because he's got no other, nothing else to fear politically. So congratulations to all of them. It's almost over for Michael Flynn, regardless of what happens and for, and for the rest of them. All right. You called it here. All right. The next subject is New York not putting... Bernie Sanders on the ballot. Um, what do you it think about that? That's unmitigated BS. And I'm so offended as a New York voter about this whole notion. Um, 
I'm not, you know, I, I was intending to vote for Joe Biden if I were actually able to exercise my right to vote. Apparently that's been taken away from me. But the reality is that I should be able to walk into a voting booth and cast a vote for my candidate. And if I can't cast a vote for my candidate, um, I should be able to write in somebody else. I mean, the, look, it's not a question of taking Bernie Sanders off the ballot. They just canceled the election in some New York counties outright, the presidential primary, if there's nobody else below them on the ballot. And so why are you taking away somebody's right to have a protest vote? They might want to write in Mickey Mouse for all we know. They might want to show their support for Joe Biden, even if he's the only one on the ballot. They might want to vote for Bernie Sanders, just even though he's not going to be the Democratic nominee, but just as a protest vote. Um, or to have him accrue more delegates at the convention and be able to influence the party platform. I mean, there is a whole host of reasons as to why people should be able to vote. I remember I was living in Greenwich Village, down in the West Village. This has got to be over a decade ago. And I went to vote in the primary at the school where I typically would vote. And there was a sign on the door saying the Democratic primary has been canceled. There's no primary this year. And I was like, what? What? How? What? How is that possible? And I, I took a picture of it which I wish I still had because I was I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean it's been canceled? How could it be canceled? New York has this habit of canceling elections. And this is not what the democratic process with the lowercase d is about. Um, it's incredibly awful. It sets a bad precedent. It is not what the most populous city in the nation should be about. And as a New York voter, I'm completely appalled and offended and... Um, it's awful. I, you know, and it's and it's a it's decisions made by a bunch of guys at the board of elections. Like, who the hell are they? And is wouldn't it be valuable too to be able to collect collection data? You know, let's say Biden lost by a big percentage in a certain neighborhood in New York. Wouldn't that be valuable for him to know? Yeah, I mean, I get yes, exactly. And I guess um, or, I mean, look, I live in the Upper West Side of New York, which is typically considered the People's Republic of of you know the Upper West Side. Um, very liberal. And it'd be interesting to see how he does here, right? How much Bernie Sanders gets here. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he does in different parts of the city where younger voters live, um, parts of Brooklyn, for example. So, uh, you know, all of that, that is very interesting. Their, their claim is, well, it's, you know, we're not, we don't want to waste money and it costs to have these elections. Well, guess what? Yeah. Democracy isn't cheap, expensive. And they're also saying it's because of the coronavirus. They want to they want to preclude people from in-person voting. But what New York also needs to do, which other states have, it, it, which really infuriates me, is New York needs to have vote by mail. And it's not that it should only have vote by mail if you could show a doctor's note saying that you're sick or that you're going to be traveling. You should be automatically registered to be able to receive your ballot by mail every election uh, without any excuse, which other states have. And what that means is that you can vote by mail and not have to go vote on election day. Because if you vote on election day, I think polls are open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. What if you're traveling? What if you're working? What if you don't have childcare? I mean, there's a million different reasons why people can't get to the polls on any given day. What New York also has is early voting. Um, so you can go vote, I don't know, some period of time in advance of an election. But my early voting location is probably 10 blocks from my house, and it's not really convenient to get to. And there's no reason why I and everybody else right now should not be able to vote from the comfort of their homes. And by the way, I get that it's an expensive proposition, but they should do this for free. You should not have to put a postage stamp on your ballot right. because that's kind of a poll tax. Um, this should be a nonprofit 
postage rate that the city or the state absorbs or the county absorbed. Um, so I think um, those are all very important voting reform issues. And the same reason that Donald Trump gets to vote by absentee ballot from Mar-a-Lago in Florida, um, because he's in Washington uh, in, the, in the Florida primary. So all of us should be able to do that without any, just, you know, New York, for all that New York is a very progressive city and state in some ways, it's very regressive when it comes to voting. And, and, and the fact that you have to register with a political party way in advance of when that primary is, which is the reason why Ivanka Trump if you recall, couldn't vote for her own father in 2016 because she'd been a registered Democrat and she forgot to change her registration like months in advance so she couldn't vote in the Republican primary. Well, I mean, the, all of those are really dumb. They're really bad for democracy with a capital, with a small d. Um, and this is not how Democrats with a small d, not a capital D, should behave. Never mind that it's not how Democrats with a capital D should behave, which is who runs the city, Board of Elections, or should be running um, the city. So... For all those reasons, I'm ticked off about that. Thank you for bringing it up. And um, well, shame, shame on the Board of Elections here in New York. I also wanted to bring up with you, so because I'm in Florida and following Flo some Florida politics a little closely, there's a really contested state attorney. Wait, wait, you're, you're in God's waiting room, I heard, right? Uh, we will get to that because <laughs> I can't freaking even. It's DeSantis. Yeah, we're going to get to DeSantis and his... I can't. Um, but... So right now there's a really contested state attorney um, race happening with re three really uh, talented Democrats or four. Um, right. But that means in August, because it's a closed primary, 60% of the electorate can't vote in this race. And that means in November, whoever wins that, there's going to be a nonpartisan candidate versus whoever this Democrat is. And I just, you know, in this case, it's like three Democrats running. But I just, do you think the closed primary system should be done away with? No. no. Um, you're talking about not letting independents and Republicans vote in Democratic primaries, for example? Yeah. Do yeah. You no, I, I actually don't support that because... Do you think it would help combat extremism, though? Um, no, I think it, what it would do... That's what we have general elections for. Um, I think gerrymandering helps combat redistricting. Getting rid of gerrymandering helps com combat um, extremism, excuse me. Um, but in this case, look, you're, you're a member of the Democratic Party. You should be able to nominate your candidate to run in your party. Um, otherwise, you have people potentially playing games and, and trying to sway the election. Um, you know, for example, if there were an open primary, what's to prevent every Republican, because Donald Trump didn't really have a contested primary, for going to vote in a Democratic primary and supporting who they thought was the weakest candidate to run against Donald Trump, Right. So my attitude is, if you are a Democratic voter or a Republican voter, you should vote in your party primary. If you're an independent voter, an affiliated voter, you should, if you want to register that day as a Democrat or a Republican, you should go vote in the primary and then declare your party affiliation that day. But to be able to toggle back and forth, I think, um, depending on how you want to sway an election, I think that that's a lot of room for a lot of mischief and a lot of troublemaking. And I, I don't support that. Okay. Um, well, now, now let's get right into DeSantis. Um, so we're now in phase one for Florida right. to reopen. 25% restaurants, um, elective surgeries are now allowed, but still no hair salons or gyms. But so as someone who has consulted politicians, his speech yesterday was just very interesting because 
he was just so negative in his tone towards the media, towards other states, towards critic, towards forecast, like towards forecasts of deaths. He wasn't uniting or positive at all. Is that the tone that you would advise one of your clients to? No. Yeah. The problem is that um, Ron DeSantis is like a mini Donald Trump and they're both running to the base. But the problem for the Ron DeSantis of the world and Donald Trump to some extent is look at where DeSantis should really take a look at what's happening to Trump's erosion and polling. And it really can make a difference for him. Trump is losing support among seniors. Guess who lives in Florida and outnumbered um, disproportionate numbers, the same seniors. Uh, if these seniors feel like they're being very callous about their lives, if you are saying, well, you know, the only people who are dying are people over 70 or 60, and, and you know, those are the ones at risk, and really, who cares, they've lived their life, which is exactly how these seniors are perceiving it, um, and that we need to sacrifice a few of these people, as, as, as the lieutenant governor of Texas said, to restart our economy, you know, I've got parents uh, who are in their 70s. I don't think they're ready to go anywhere, and I don't want them to go anywhere, and I don't think they should go anywhere just so that we can jumpstart our economy a, a few days faster. And if you're Ron DeSantis, you should really take a look at where Trump's numbers are eroding and start thinking about the fact that that disproportionately benefits or impacts you as the governor of Florida. I mean, he won in large part on the strength of those seniors last time around. And if anything, that's the demographic that he needs to pay attention to. And playing people off on each other is really not the way to do it because what you're playing off is working families versus seniors and seniors are the ones who are going to disproportionately lose out if COVID erupts. By the way, I think Florida, the very same day that he did this, had its highest death rate. Is that not right this week? You are very correct. And I would like to note when he talks about death numbers um, that the neighborhood and the county that I live in has mobile testing, but the mobile testing site, it moves to different locales and the getting testing is really tough. It's And it's almost impossible for a lot of the lower income communities around me. So when- But that's what this is about, by the way, and, and I don't think this can be underscored enough. See, if you tell people to return to work and they're scared about going back to work, and some of them have pre-existing conditions, some of them might have asthma, for example, which puts you at risk. Some of them might have lung cancer. Some of them might just have, you know, arthritis, which apparently is a pre-existing condition that, that is affected tremendously by COVID. Um, you have to make a decision as to, about, as to whether to go to work or not. But if it becomes a decision, not a mandate, you can't collect unemployment anymore. Effectively, you're voluntarily quitting your job if you don't return to work, which means that Ron DeSantis and other governors don't have to pay out unemployment claims. And that's what this is about. This is about saving money for themselves, that they don't have to pay out unemployment claims. If you are told to go back to work, but you're scared for your life about going back to work, then what ends up happening is that you have voluntarily quit your job. You can't collect unemployment anymore. Now you're really screwed. Well, and we have one of the most broken unemployment systems in the country. So that makes even more sense. Yeah. And it's absurd. And I read this article in the New York Times today, as a matter of fact, about New Jersey, where New Jersey, the second most affluent state in the nation, has people accessing food pantries at Great Depression rates, practically. I mean, people truly just do not have the money to eat. 
And that is in a state where the governor has wisely not mandated a return to work. Um, in states like Florida, which are poor, where the governor is basically saying, yep, you know, we're reopening some businesses, people in those businesses, and they're, by the way, blue collar businesses, right? Like you just mentioned them. Yeah. I mean, these are not people who are making a million dollars a year. Um, if you are somebody with, with breathing problems or lung issues, you're just a senior or somebody who's at risk um, and you are too afraid to go to work, you have to now make a decision. Do I go to work and risk my health or do I, quote unquote, voluntarily quit my job, which does not entitle me to any kind of compensation from the unemployment benefit claim? And does that mean that I necessarily have to proceed to go to a food pantry or, 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 or some other charitable enterprise? That's awful. No, That's it's it's awful. really it's heartbreaking here. I was in the grocery store the other day and behind somebody she was on like her fifth credit card, unable to buy four cans of beans, which I just bought for her. But like it's it's really it's hitting everybody and it's really heartbreaking all around because people they're not only scared to get sick, but they're scared about losing their jobs and their livelihoods. Yeah, I mean, I was in um uh a, a little it's not a store, but a little cafe kind of place, not across the street from my house. And um, there was nobody there. Obviously, nobody's really walking around in New York, but I was dying for um, uh, a latte. So I dragged my seven-year-old with our face masks over there. And as I'm standing there, um, there's another woman who was standing six feet away from us waiting in line to, to also pay. And um, she said to the guy behind the counter, oh, my God, somebody just ran in here and stole three of your croissants. And I've never seen that happen before. This is not just the kind of thing that happens. I know everybody in New York thinks people go around stealing stuff, but they just don't. And so the guy behind the counter was like, well, you know what? He must have really needed the food. And he was right. He was right. The guy must have really needed the food. And there are people who are – we're we're – about to see stuff. I mean, this article in the times was really illustrative because we're about to see stuff that you haven't seen since the great depression. Um, I live not far from a church and there's a, every Sunday they have, um, and they've had for ages, a food pantry where people, obviously if you're homeless or you need food or if you're food insecure, you go and you get food and they're continuing to do that now that it's, um, uh, now that obviously despite the social distancing, they're still doing that. The lines are longer. Yep. So I think this is very, what, what these governors are doing by basically telling people either you get back to work and risk your life or we're cutting you off from unemployment. All it's going to do is lead to massive poverty, increased numbers of deaths, and the kind of scenes that we probably have not seen since the days of Herbert Hoover. Um, certainly most of us were not alive for and that's terrifying to me. Do you think this will reflect at the voting booth at all? Sure. I mean, I've always said that Trump's biggest strength was the economy and his biggest weakness will now be the economy. Um, it's all very nice to discuss politics hypothetically, but if you sit in focus groups on a daily basis, or not a daily basis, but on a regular basis as I do, what I've noticed over the course of, I don't know, 
five, six, seven years, but it's increased every year, every few, every time I, I look at a focus group or sit in a focus group, people actually want to hear that tangible stuff. They don't want to hear about your ideals anymore. They want to hear about what you've done for me personally. You can't talk about, well, we have a great educational system in this state and we have a great educational system in this town. They want to know what that means for them personally. Donald Trump can talk about the stock market rising, falling. How does that benefit me personally? I am now food insecure. I am now unemployed. I am now, I'm not talking about me personally, but I'm just talking about a regular right. white working class voter, which is his base. Um, I am now at a point where I can't feed my family anymore. Forget about the dream of sending your kids off to college. Forget about the dream of taking a nice vacation somewhere for a couple of weeks. What, how is this affecting me? And the more people are told either you go back to work or you're not going to get unemployment benefits anymore. And they have to make a determination as to whether they are going to go back to work and potentially get sick. That's problematic. And by taking away that safety net, i.e. unemployment for people, you're really, 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 really screwing them. And there's no other way to put it. And it's callous and it's awful and it's almost inhumane to force people to risk their lives, literally put their lives at risk. They did not sign up to put their lives at risk by working in a meat plant. They did right. not sign up to put their lives at risk by cutting hair um, or giving out tattoos or working in you know, tanning booths or salons. Um, that's not the trade-off, right? There are certain jobs that require putting your life at risk. If you join the military, you're, you're, you're signing up for that. If you join the police, or if you're an EMT, I mean, you know, there, there are first responder jobs that clearly are, are, are jobs where you sign up to put your life at risk. These aren't them. These right. aren't those kinds of jobs. And that's what's so callous about Ron DeSantis and certainly the governor of Georgia. Um, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And then some of them say the, the, the bad t stuff out loud, like the, t you know, deputy, the lieutenant governor of Texas, the stuff they're not supposed to say out loud. They say it out loud. Right. Also, I just, I really was greatly amused by your tweet about um, when Ben Shapiro said the thing about the 81-year-olds, um, oh. <laughs> not old enough to forget uh, the death panels, the people who, the same people who were... Yeah, um, I mean, Shapiro wrote this column back in 2009, 2010, where he was outraged that Democrats for, under the Amer Affordable Care Act were instituting death panels, which of course were complete nonsense. Because there were recommendations that that women maybe shouldn't get mammograms every year, but maybe, you know, once every two years or they shouldn't get prostate or colon cancer screening, at, you know, one period. And this is going to somehow horribly affect our seniors. And we're and by the way, these were recommendations. Nobody was mandating this happen. But he was just outraged that this was going to consign our seniors to death. And who do you think it's older people who are at risk of breast cancer and you're consigning them to death? Okay, well, I guess if it's your time, it's your time, right? And if your time is, if you're, if you're the average age for death, according to Ben Shapiro, is 80 and you're 81, you've already exceeded it by a year. So God bless, you know, go job dead. Um, no, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but no. Right. And uh, I, I had this, this, my grandmother was in a nursing home. She was 100 and almost 102 when she died. Um and she was in a nursing home for, for a long period of time before that. And I wonder now, if this were today, we'd take her out of the nursing home, right? Yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't consign her to certain death in a nursing home, or not certain death, but but a higher, higher risk of death. 
But think about the onus this puts on families. I don't know how we care for her. She had a lot of medical needs to be taken care of in, in that nursing home. I mean, these are all things you have to think about. These are real people who people love. I mean, my grandmother had dementia toward the end of her life and couldn't really communicate and couldn't really, didn't really know who we were. And, but she still had the wherewithal to, to enjoy, you know, a piece of candy or to sit around and sing, you know, these World War II songs because in her mind she was back in 19, you know, fleeing the Nazis in 1939 or 41, excuse me, when the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union. So the point is like she was in some way in her own mind somehow still enjoying life. And for those of us who loved her in the way that I did and my parents did, um, you know, we weren't ready for her to just go die. Right. And that's basically Ben Shapiro saying and the governor, uh, lieutenant governor of, of Texas is saying and a lot of these other people are saying, well, you know what, if you're older, you've, you've already lived your life. So go drop dead. No, no. Right. Agreed. Absolutely not. I think, and it's like, you're completely disregarding all of the the contributions that all of these older people have given to America in this country into history. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. But your age is this. So yeah, you're whatever. 81. You know what? Consider yourself lucky you've lived longer than the average. So go drop dead. No. Agreed. All right, Julie, what's making you happy? Um. Well, as I said, I had a wonderful birthday. Um. You know what's making me happy? I am just, I continue to just be, feel very blessed. Um, as I said, it's just, um, you know, having the opportunity to have my son who is driving me up the wall with this home learning situation. Um, but it's nice having him around. I, I feel like all the time, I feel like we've regressed a little bit where he, I don't even know how he's going to there's no school. By the way, they just canceled school for the rest of the year. So I, you know, this, this may be the last time we speak to each other without me hanging out for after somewhere. But if there's no camp this summer, I, I don't even know. I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen if there's no camp to my mental well-being. However, um, I'm very happy that we get to spend all this time together, although I am somewhat concerned that the first day that he has to go back to school or back to camp or go to camp or in some way leave my presence for a period of time, it's going to regress back to when he started nursery school and I had to sit with him, you know, all day to make the separation less difficult. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of these kids are at the age of seven and eight are kind of regressing back to their preschool days where they're so connected to their parents that it's going to be impossible to, to separate them. Um, and uh, although I have to say he's a... <laughs> The, the bathroom humor has just erupted even more now. Now it's just hilarious. He's also developed this thing where he and his friends have all figured out how to FaceTime each other oh, no. and text each other. So now, and it's connected to my phone. So now when I tell you, it's like a nightmare of every two seconds, bling, 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 all these, you know, people. And now, you know, all the kids are impersonating each other's parents, sending me text messages being like, this is so-and-so's father. Can your son and my son go meet each other in the park? and play football it's like what's the square root of 144 this is really somebody's father <laughs> um, which is literally, literally what i asked one of them yesterday but excellent thanks, thanks to google they were able to give me that answer very quickly unless this kid's really a math genius at the age of eight but um 
So, but anyway, but I am very grateful. I'm very grateful that I live in New York where Central Park is available to me. I am very happy that I'm surrounded by people I love um, and that we haven't yet murdered each other. I'm very happy that my parents, knock on wood, seem to be in good health and my friends all seem to be in good health. Um, I am very happy that I um, am going to be able to give plasma next week. Um to help people hopefully recover from the coronavirus, which I strongly urge um, everybody who's had the coronavirus to do. If you've had COVID, please call your local blood bank, go online and see if you could donate plasma because um, a friend of mine, actually a woman named Bridget Harrison, who's running for Congress um, in Southern New Jersey, her husband was hospitalized with COVID here in New York and uh, was really in a, in a very bad place. And then ultimately um, apparently got a plasma transfusion and, and miracle out of it miraculously, but she claims that really helped him turn the page. And then he's been discharged from the hospital, which means that potentially this is, a, this is something that can work to help people. So I strongly urge anybody listening in any part of the world, please contact your local blood bank go get tested for antibodies. And if you have the antibodies to do this, please do it. I think it takes about an hour, 45 minutes, they said to an hour to do. So I'm doing that next Thursday. I'll let everybody know how it goes. Um, and um, so I'm happy I'm able to do that. I mean, I I think I told you, um, I went to Africa maybe about seven years ago, six years ago um, to work in this very remote part of Africa named the, in Kenya, named the Maasai Mara called the Maasai Mara to, to help these kids to help build a school. But we took a, a couple of nurses with us who were able to give shots to these people who literally walked from, from miles around to try to get um, immunizations and, and shots to not get diseases that the rest of us have eradicated here in the United States. And what I realized is I have no skills like that. Like I'm not able to save anybody's life. I can't give anybody a shot. I can't help anybody. I, I don't even know CPR. Like these are fundamental things that, that I just don't have the skills to do, but I'm happy that at least I have plasma that I can donate to hopefully help somebody. So I think anybody who can help in their own way can and should. And if you can't, because you haven't had COVID yet, or you just um, are in a, some situation where you can't do it, have compassion for the people around you, because I think right now that's all we really need. And that means have compassion for people who are going to food banks, who are unemployed, who might be running into a bakery to steal a croissant or two, because that's the only food that they're going to get. If you can afford to buy them something, buy it for them so they don't have to steal it. Um, if that guy had just come into the store and said, can you buy me three croissants because I need to eat? I would say yes. Um, and that's all. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I think makes me happy. The stuff where you can help somebody in your own way, however you can. That's fantastic. What about you? Um, one of my friends I found out, uh, who I used to teach tennis with when I was younger, he is also isolating in Florida. So we started to play tennis um, and just have these epic battles. And I felt normal for those hours of playing tennis, which was great. Um, just being outside and in the sun and shit talking was fantastic. Uh -huh. uh, so it's, I, I guess that feeling of normalcy and like for the first time I just forgot about really everything else and could just enjoy the moment, which I haven't, I don't think been doing as much. So that was really nice. Um, That's great. 
I would like to also note that I sent you, I texted you earlier about Kristen Bell talking about teaching her kids home or homeschooling her kids. And she said this little story where one of her, I think her daughter is seven, had math homework. And then on every single answer on the homework, she just wrote, no, 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 no. And I thought of you just getting that and like what your facial expression would be. And that made me laugh. Well, I have to say, <laughs> hardest part of it, like, I've said this before, teachers need to get paid in blood. Like, I don't even know that there's an amount of money that you can pay me to go be a second grade teacher in real life. I'm, I'm only dealing with one. I, you know, these people are dealing with 20 at a time, 30, <laughs> whatever the class size is. Um, I, I just, it is brutal. It's the worst. I have no <laughs> questions. Um, I find myself dropping the F-bomb every 30 seconds. I know it's awful. I know I'm not supposed to. Um, I know that it's completely contrary to what you think you're going to be doing when you're pregnant and you think about all the wonderful ways you're going to be raising your kids. And then it all goes out the window because you've explained fractions for the 17th time and they're still not getting it. Um, And it's just, it's brutal. It's just, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And I feel like I'm getting stupider by the second because I just feel like my brain's not functioning well. I'm trying to work at the same time that I'm trying to teach him. He's sick of me trying to teach him. He knows I have no patience. Um, I mean, luckily I have the kind of kid who you have to repeat something 10 times for him to pay attention to you. But then when I get really angry, he kind of tries to make up and gives me hugs and I'm sorry, mommy and all that stuff. But um, he doesn't hold a grudge the way I would if I were. <laughs> um, but it's just untenable. I mean, I don't, you know, and, and then when I got the note from school last week that they were reluctantly canceling school for the rest of the school year, which is another six weeks, that kind of was just a blow. I mean, I knew it was, happy, it was coming, but it was still, that's a blow. And then I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> the camp is canceled. Because, you know, my son, he's the kind of kid that needs to be active 24-7. He goes outside for probably an hour. We live in the city, so he goes outside. Plus, as I said, it's been raining nonstop. So he goes outside for probably an hour a day. Um, and uh, and here he is. He's back from being outside. So I got to go. All right. Happy. I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, Bye. everybody. <laughs>